0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love
0: is calling,
1: Even though somebody's behavior may not be an excuse, it might be a reason for us to get a little bit deeper and to understand their story. Because if we get a little bit deeper and understand someone's story, maybe we will have compassion for them instead of judgment. And maybe we will have some comfort for them instead of frustration. God sent Haggai to a people who needed to be encouraged.
0: Why is it so hard to put into practice that phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Do you respond to people based on their outward appearance or behavior? It can be so easy to judge a person by the way they look or act, but you just never know what's going on inside them. In today's message, Pastor Gary will caution you to not make an evaluation of someone based on the surface. You never know what's going on in their heart and life. It's important that you get to know people below the surface. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Haggai as he continues his message, Look Beneath the Surface.
1: This is the approach I'm going to take in, in the study here of Haggai. Okay, they stopped building suddenly and abruptly. And for 16 years, the temple of God went without being rebuilt. But I, I think we should stop and ask, and here's the angle we're going to take, why? Why did they stop building? You know, for years, I would just hammer the principal home, misplaced priorities, misplaced priorities. And I never stopped and really asked, why? Why did they stop building? Was it purely for selfish reasons? Did they get lazy and give up? Is it as simple as lacking right priorities? We need to dig a little deeper here and ask, why? Now, let me illustrate this and tell you why it's important for us to do this. I heard about this, and I don't know if this is a a true story or just, you know, something I I heard as an illustration, but I share it with you as an illustration either way. I heard this story about a man who was a widow, and he was living alone, and he would often sit out on the front porch of his house, and people in the neighborhood would walk by and always wave and give him a smile and have a little conversation with him. But then the neighbors, as they would walk by, began to notice that the old man hadn't cut his lawn in a while. And now his lawn was overgrown and weeds everywhere. And so HOA got involved and sent him a violation. Like you you don't have your lawn manicured and you're making the rest of the neighborhood look bad and you need to get out there and mow your lawn. And, And then people began to notice that his mailbox was overflowing and A bunch of newspapers were delivered on his driveway that he had never gathered, and so he got more HOA violation notices about that stuff, like get the newspapers off your driveway and, you know, mow your lawn and all this kind of stuff. But nobody stopped to ask why until one day somebody finally decided, we need to call the police. The police came, broke into his house, and found that he had been dead for a few weeks. And see, nobody offered to find out why was his lawn overgrown. They were just bothered by it. And nobody asked why was mail overflowing from his mailbox and newspapers lying on his driveway. They were just bothered that they were. I think it's easy for us to read the book of Haggai and just get bothered at their misplaced priorities and think to ourselves, okay, we need to get our priorities right. It's easy just to look at this and to get bothered That that they had misplaced their priorities, that they had put God on hold while they attended to their own busy lives. But I think what we need to do is to stop and ask why. Why did they suddenly stop building? What might be going on under the surface that we don't know about? Before we judge them for being lazy and unmotivated with misplaced priorities, let's dig a little deeper deeper here and find out why. Now, fortunately for us, we have a commentary on the book of Haggai, because as I mentioned, the book of Haggai and all the events of Haggai fit within the book of Ezra. And Ezra gives us the backstory. Ezra tells us why they stopped building. Ezra tells us why for 16 years the house of God would remain in ruins. I'm going to read a little bit from Ezra. You don't need to turn there, or you can if you want. I'm going to read from Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So we can get the perspective here in the back story on why they stopped building. So in Ezra chapter 4, this is what it says in verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, let us build with you for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Azaradan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says these are adversaries of the Jewish people. They're claiming while the Jews were in captivity to have been there in the land, offering sacrifices to God. Hold on a second. There's no temple. How are you offering sacrifices to God? listen, this is just their way of trying to infiltrate the ranks here. These are adversaries of the Jewish people. So Zerubbabel, who's the governor during this particular time, he's on to them. And he says there in Ezra four, verse three, but Zerubbabel and Yeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia has commanded us. And then it says the people of the land, the adversaries, tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This went on for years. They were just continually harassing and discouraging and frustrating the Jewish people in their attempt to build the house of God. Furthermore, it says in the rest of the book of Ezra that in addition to discouraging them and frustrating them, did you hear what I just said that they hired counselors? They hired counselors. What does that mean? It means they hired attorneys. They hired attorneys. That's what the Bible is saying. You know how today with respect to a lawyer in a courtroom, we call him a counselor. They hired attorneys to issue a legal injunction to prevent the Jews from building the temple of God. By the way, when I was reading through this, I'm like, oh yeah, kind of, it's kind of a familiar story for us. I mean, for those of you who don't know, when we went to build this building, we were sued by an adjoining landowner. The town council of Leesburg and the mayor signed off on it, but we got sued. It ended up in court. We lost in circuit court. Fortunately, the Virginia Supreme Court heard our case and gave us a unanimous decision in our favor. But I'm reading this and I'm going, yeah, it still goes on today. Still goes on today. So they hired attorneys And they wrote a letter to a new king on the throne of Persia. Now his name is Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes was not all that familiar with what Cyrus had said in letting the Jews go back and build the temple. When Artaxerxes gets this letter from the attorneys, he reads it and he's like, yeah, this is not a good thing because these Jewish people have a reputation of rebelling against kings and they're not going to do that under my watch, sends a letter back to the adversaries and, and says to them, you march up to Jerusalem and you demand that they stop building and Artaxerxes issues this cease and desist order. And so those guys go marching up to Jerusalem. It says this in Ezra 4, 23 to 24, Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews, and by force of arms made them cease. Thus, the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. What happened in the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia? The Bible says Haggai was sent by God to encourage the people to start to rebuild. So this is where Haggai then enters. And he encourages them with the words that we read at the beginning of our study. Glance back in your Bibles at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Haggai shows up and he says to them, Yet now be strong. This is chapter two, verse four. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came up out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear All right, your attention. Now put all this together. We have Ezra's the commentary on the events of the book of Haggai. So when we look at why they stopped building in 536 BC, and suddenly abruptly they just stopped the building process. It's not because they were lazy. It was not because they were unmotivated. It was not because they were indifferent. It was because they were discouraged. The adversaries of the Jews had frustrated them. Had threatened them had gotten the government involved to issue a cease and desist order, had themselves, these adversaries, even marched up to Jerusalem armed with weapons to tell these people, stop. And so they got discouraged. And the Jewish people retreated. And the house of God went without being rebuilt for 16 years until Haggai shows up and he encourages them. Now we know the why. Why did they stop building? They were discouraged, so they gave up. You know, when you get super discouraged about something, um, is it helpful to you when, in your discouragement, someone comes to you with both barrels loaded and chews you out? Or is it helpful to you when somebody comes alongside of you and says, God's got this. Be strong. Don't fear. God is with you. This is what Haggai does. He shows up here. He's not berating them. He's he's not um, angry. He encourages them. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, you remnant of Israel. God is with you. Do not be afraid. And he comes alongside of them, and he encourages them in this way. And at the end of chapter 1, the Bible says that God began to stir the spirit of Zerubbabel. He began to stir the spirit of Joshua. And he began to stir the spirit of the remnant of the people there. And they began to work on the house of the Lord, coupled with Haggai's encouraging words to motivate them. And they actually started to do the work of God's temple again. You know what's interesting about the book of Haggai, different from all the other prophets? That the people actually did what the prophet told them to do. You read almost any of the other prophets in the Old Testament, and the people are like, no, we don't like what you have to say. In fact, we're going to kill you. That's usually the way they responded. In this story, they're like, Yes. Thank you for that word of encouragement. Thank you. We got discouraged. We were frustrated in the way that they were coming against us. Thank you. Yes, in the name of the Lord, we can do this. And they marched right back up to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple of God in five years. From 520 B.C., when Haggai started to challenge them, they finished it in 515 B.C., and the temple of God was completely rebuilt. All they needed was a little encouragement. All they needed was a little encouragement. Until you know somebody's story, don't judge by what you see on the surface. Yes, the book of Haggai is about putting God first over our own interests. But it is also a book that reminds us that there are sometimes reasons why people do what they do, why people behave as they behave. It may not necessarily be an excuse for their behavior. It wasn't an excuse here. God challenged the people. You need to get back to the work of God. But even though somebody's behavior may not be an excuse, it might be a reason for us to get a little bit deeper and to understand their story. Because if we get a little bit deeper and understand someone's story... Maybe we will have compassion for them instead of judgment, and maybe we will have some comfort for them instead of frustration. God sent Haggai to a people who needed to be encouraged, and it's easy for us just to look at this book and say, oh, these people 16 years, uh, they, they didn't do God's work and misplaced priorities in their busy lives. And the fact of the matter is that if you, if you lift up the hood and you look under the hood a little bit, what, what's going on in their hearts is that these people are just weighed down they are discouraged. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So again, why people do what they do may not be an excuse for their behavior, but it might be a reason for ours. How are we to behave and respond to somebody based on what? Just the surface appearance of things? Or perhaps we should dig a little deeper to understand what's going on in their lives. You know, when a baby is hungry and a baby is wet, uh, we don't get angry at them when they cry. We realize that there are some underlying issues here. Oh, they're probably hungry. Oh, they're probably wet. So what do we do? We feed them, we change them, and we comfort them. But suddenly then, when people become adults, we stop discerning what might be under the surface. We stop looking at, well, what might be the issue that's underneath why they behave the way they behave. And we lack some empathy and compassion and sympathy towards people because we just look at the surface. And we evaluate what we see on the surface without having any consideration about what might be going on underneath it's important for us to realize this your coworker might be nasty for a reason your neighbor might be belligerent for a reason your extended family member uh, might be angry for a reason maybe they somebody betrayed them maybe a spouse betrayed them maybe maybe they've gone through a tragedy maybe a child has died or Maybe they got bad news on a diagnosis. You never know. You never know why people are behaving the way they're behaving. Don't just simply look at the surface and think to yourself, well, that's not right, and and, and they shouldn't be like that. Okay, maybe they shouldn't. But maybe we should dig a little bit deeper to understand how we might possibly be a Haggai in their life, to come alongside of them and say, God's got this. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be strong the Lord is with you. And that's what Haggai did in this story. We've got to dig a little deeper under the surface to realize maybe there's something there that is valued in the life of this person worth ministering to. I share this illustration. I shared this many years ago. This, this will be something that some of you have heard before, but every time I think about this kind of a theme, this story from my own life comes, comes to the surface for me. It's not a, a story I'm proud of, but years ago, when I was about nineteen or twenty, somewhere in there, I hadn't been a believer very long. Um, I was attending a church where, uh, in in the middle of the church service, uh, they do what what we typically do here between the worship time and the teaching time. There's a moment of meet and greet. Everybody stands up and they and they they greet each other. Um, I know some of you don't like that. I get emails once in a while. It's flu season. Don't make me shake somebody's hand. I don't know. So I know some people like little germaphobe about that kind of thing, but, but this is the kind of thing that it happens, right? And, um, and so it was happening in this church where I was. Now, there was a particular lady in this church in her early 60s that um, just by her appearance just bothered me, and, and I'll explain. So she, um, again, like 60-ish, and she would always come into church late with her husband, and uh, she was always dressed to the T's. I mean, she high permed hair, um, thick, thick uh, makeup. It was the envy of an undertaker. I mean, it was just uh, all over and, and smeared on a dress two sizes too small that she would always squeeze into, and jewelry everywhere. I'm not exaggerating. She had a ring on every finger, she had 10 rings. And she always well, we have a lot of gold necklace jewelry hanging down. And she'd always wear this cornucopia, this gold cornucopia around her neck. I'm not making it up. You know, cornucopia, like what you put on a Thanksgiving table with gourds on the inside. She had one of those hanging around her neck. Walking in late to church. And I would always think, what's her deal? And, and doesn't anybody want to tell her how unbecoming she looks? All like that, right? So in my judgmental heart, I was 19 or 20. Don't judge me now, all right? I've come a long way. Still got a long way to go, but I've come a long way. And I'm just thinking, what what in the world? Meet and greet time happens. And of all the days, she had to come in late and sit in the row right in front of me. That's what she did. So now it's meet and greet time. Great. She stands up to turn around and to shake my hand. And when she stretches out her hand to shake my hand, it was a warm summer day, so she had on a short-sleeved dress. I noticed on her forearm, numbers were tattooed. This is a picture, a similar picture, not hers. This is a man with tattooed numbers on his arm because he was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. This was typically done in Auschwitz. The, the Nazis would sew ID numbers on their clothing until that got too laborious, and so they just started tattooing numbers on prisoners as they would come through the concentration camp. And little did I know that was her story. And in this 25-second meet and greet, it's as if she looked with penetrating eyes right into my soul and knew exactly the judgment I had in my heart towards her, based solely on the surface, on appearance, And this is what she said to me. She said, hi, my name is, and I don't remember her name. Hi, my name is, how are you? Listen, you're going to have to forgive me. She says to me, I know I just kind of get dressed up over the top. But she said, when I was a teenager, I spent some time in Auschwitz. And I vowed if I ever made it out of there alive, I would never be in rags again. I couldn't tell you what the sermon was that day. It still bothers me when I retell this story. See, because I, I just looked at the surface. She taught me a valuable lesson that day. Don't make an evaluation on the surface. You never know what's going on in somebody's heart and in somebody's life. Shallow surface people are a dime a dozen in our world. How about as Christ followers, we actually go deeper with somebody to love their heart, to value their soul that Jesus died for. It's important that we get to know somebody beyond just the surface. That we accept and love an individual with all their flaws and all their scars because we've got some of our own too. Somebody once said that Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Well, let's help people find the bread of life. Let's direct people to Jesus. And one of the principal ways that people are going to want Jesus is when we genuinely, authentically love them enough to ask their story. They may not want to share their story. Or you may not have an opportunity to ask what their story is, but at the very least, give them the benefit of the doubt and think the best of them and ask yourselves, how would Jesus approach them, love them, and interact with them? Be that Haggai to somebody who comes alongside and basically says, God's got this. Be strong. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. And serve to be somebody who knows the backstory a little bit, at least enough to have compassion and grace and love for those who need it. I end with this verse, First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble.
0: New life. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching through the last several books of the Old Testament, also known as the Minor Prophets. These short books are powerful and reveal so much about your Creator and His love for the world. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, Please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. Again, that number is 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has a companion resource available for this Minor Prophets series. You'll find it under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study the Minor Prophets, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to
1: go, but still you know.